work every time. We don't have to get up in the morning and wonder if gravity is going to be on today. The laws of physics, the laws that God established for this earth are well known. They always work. And we have to, uh, through our recognition of what those laws of physics are, we, it helps us to live a safe life. For example, there are physical laws regarding electricity. And if we violate those laws, then the electricity that can be and is intended to be a blessing to us can bring a curse. Well, confession is a spiritual law. We see back in Numbers chapter 14, after that, uh, the children of Israel have come to the promised land, the 12 spies went in to spy out the land to see what was there. You remember they brought back the, the fruit of the land. It was better than and unlike anything that ever witnessed before. They said, surely this is a land flowing with milk and honey, just like God said it was. But then 10 of them said, we can't take this, the, the land because of the people that live there. There are giants in the land. There are enemies of Israel. Their military strength is greater than ours, and we can't do it. Two of them, Joshua and Caleb, two of the 12 spies, maintained a good report, what the Bible calls a good report, and they just simply said, we can do it because God's with us. They didn't deny the strength of the armies, the enemy's armies. They didn't say there weren't really giant walls around certain cities. They just said, we can do it because God told us to. So their confession set them on track or set them in line with, on course, to receive anything and everything that God had for them. Now in that story, where the 12 spies come back, 10 of them bring an evil report, and one of them, uh, two of them bring back a good report. In that story, everybody got exactly what they said. Caleb and Joshua took the promised land. They were delayed by 40 years because of the unbelief of the people. The congregation decided in with the 10 spies and the majority report. But everybody in that story got exactly what they said. And here's why. In Numbers chapter 14, verse 28, God reveals the spiritual law concerning words. He said, say unto them. Now, the congregation has already taken sides with the ten spies. They've lifted up their voice. They're crying and weeping and moaning and groaning because what are we going to do? We're going to die in this wilderness. God brought us to the promised land, and now we're not going to be able to go in, which they could have. Their victory wasn't determined by the size of the enemy or the military might or the height of the walls. Their defeat was determined by what they said. And God explains this to us. In Numbers 14, verse 28, he said, Say unto them, As truly as I live, saith the Lord, as you have spoken in my ears, so will I do unto you. Now the key phrase in there is as, I, as truly as I live. And I think we overlook that. We look at the other part where God says, I will do unto them even as they've spoken in my ears. That is a spiritual law. This is the first time that we have record of God revealing to his people that it's a spiritual law. But this is the spiritual law by which the Bible goes to great lengths to explain to us how God created the earth. He created the earth with his words. Ten times in the first chapter of Genesis says, and the Lord said, whatever, and it was. Every time. Now, the Bible could very simply have said one time, God created everything by his words. But it tells us ten times. It repeats over and over and over and over and over. 
And the Lord said, and it was. And the Lord said, and it was. And the Lord said, and it was. And then the Bible tells us that man was made in the image and likeness of God and given authority over the earth. Well, if man was made in God's image, and we've just seen that the the pattern or the way that God exercised his authority and used his power in the earth was through his words. And the Lord said, and it was. And the Lord said, and it was. Well, if man's made in the image and likeness of God, how is man supposed to operate on the earth? It wouldn't make sense for the Bible to, to uh, tell us specifically that we were made in the image of, and likeness of God, which simply means we were made an exact duplicate in kind. We were exact copies of God. Adam and Eve were, at least. It wouldn't make sense for God to create the world with words and then have the man and the woman that he gives authority over the earth to to operate in a different way, would it? Man operated exactly the way God operated because man was made in the image and likeness of God. He was a duplicate of God. So we see, it exa- uh, we see examples and we see places, specifically the, the creation account, where it tells us about words forming the worlds. Paul writes in Hebrews chapter 11 that the worlds were framed by the, by the word of God. Again, it's confirmation. God said, and it was. But when we get to this phrase in Numbers 14, 28, where it says, as truly as I live, what's that there for? God never wastes words. So something we might overlook and think is important, oftentimes carry the key or hold the key to what we're supposed to understand about what he's saying. And in this case, where he says, as truly as I live, other translations uh, translate this in a different way. Some translations translate it, it is the oracle of God. And an oracle of God just means it's a law, it's set in stone, so to speak, and never changes. But where it says, as truly as I live, what do we know about how God lives? Well, we know that he's eternal. We know that he's never changing. We know that his word carries power forever and ever and ever. He never speaks powerless words. Everything he says is true and is truth. And so everything he says, everything that's under his control, happens just exactly the way that he said it. And the Lord said, and it was. And the Lord said, and it was. So where he tells Moses to tell the people, he wants them to understand something. He says, I will deal with you even as you have spoken in my ears. This is an unchanging, eternal law. As you have spoken in my ears, so shall I do unto you. He's explaining the spiritual laws of the earth. At least one of them. As truly as I live, saith the Lord. As you have spoken in my ears, so shall I do unto you. And folks, that's exactly what the end result of this story is. The children of Israel complained and said, It would have been better for us to die in the wilderness than to be defeated by our enemies. So what happened? They died in the wilderness. Caleb and Joshua said we could do it. Forty years after this point in time, after Israel wanders in the wilderness, they got exactly what they said. They took the promised land. The spiritual law is that you will have what you say. Now, Jesus told us about this in Mark chapter 11. He said, in explaining to Peter and the others, whoever else is with him, he explains that the fig tree that he cursed the day before died because of the operation of faith. 
Peter saw the fig tree withered from its roots. And he said, Master, behold, the fig tree to which thou cursest is withered away. Jesus said, have faith in God. Other translations say, have the faith of God. Brother Hagin coined the phrase, have the God kind of faith. Well, what other kind of faith would God have other than the God kind? And then Jesus explained what faith does or how faith operates. He said in verse 23 of Mark chapter 11, whosoever shall say unto this mountain. So we see first and foremost that faith has something to do with what you say. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. And shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Now, the very fact Jesus said this works for whosoever means it's available for everybody. I know a lot of people have, are fond um, of saying, well, that was the son of God. Jesus did things differently than we do on the earth. And we can't do what he did because he was the son of God. If that was the case, Jesus would have said this happened because I was the son of God. Or am the son of God. But he didn't. He said, whosoever. He knows that man still has authority on the earth. The church hadn't figured that out very well. But Jesus knew that once God gave authority to man on the earth, he never took it back. Man still has authority on the earth. And that's why his words are important. So Jesus said, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. And shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Notice that he wants us to believe in our words. Notice that he expects us, because it's a spiritual law, to understand that what we say comes to pass. Now, we certainly have to qualify that. Every word that we say doesn't come to pass. But the words that we say from our hearts and don't turn back from. Those are words that come to pass because confession is a spiritual law. But most of the church world, it seems, thinks of the the subject of confession only as the confession of sins. Now, there's one place in the Bible where the Bible says, tells us about John the Baptist, how that John the Baptist was uh, preaching that the Messiah was coming And he encouraged people. He preached to people that they should confess their sins and be baptized. Well, these are unsaved people. And so the confession of sins would have to just be a generic understanding or recognition that they were sinners. Because anybody that's of any age whatsoever, anybody beyond an infant, wouldn't wouldn't be able to remember all the sins that they committed. And that's not the confession for people to come into the family of God today. Romans chapter 10 verses 9 and 10 says. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth. The Lord Jesus and believe that God has raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. And with the mouth, mouth confession is made unto salvation. Now think about what he's saying. He's saying you confess Jesus as your Lord before he is. You say that he's your Lord. You exercise your authority through your words to make Jesus your Lord and Savior before he is. And it's because of those words that you come into or unto salvation. So there for a split second or two, we're calling things that be not as though we are, as though they are, in order to enter into the family of God. 
Now think about what that means, folks. God has one and only one way. God, Jesus said himself, I am the only way to God. He wasn't tolerant of other people's ideas about how to get to God. He said, I'm it. Well, okay, if Jesus is the only way to the Father, then how can man, how should man, how does man apply what Jesus did for his own benefit? Through his words. Through his words. Now, there's another part to this. Over in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, where it's the confession of the believer's sins. This is written to people that are born again. And it says if we're, we will confess our sins, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, then God is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That word unrighteousness does not mean a state of being. It means behavior. So God cleanses us of the wrong behavior. We never lost our salvation. We never stopped being the righteousness of God. We just stopped look, looking like it for a little bit. So where he says, if we'll confess our sins, he's talking to believers again. If we'll confess our sins, the only way that that would be possible is if we don't have many sins backed up. In other words, the instruction of 1 John 1, 9 is an instruction for us to walk in fellowship with God, walk in the new commandment of love, and that's the only commandment we have to keep. Paul said those that walk in love have fulfilled the law because love encompasses everything else. See, we don't have to try to keep the Ten Commandments if we're walking in love because everything about walking in love covers and completes the Ten Commandments. So we have one law, and that's the law of love. So Paul is saying, or John is saying rather, that whenever we take a step outside of love, and we'll always know when we did, if we're walking in close fellowship with God, our hearts will convict us. Then he says, make that right. Confess that before the Father. And he'll cleanse you from the wrong behavior, the unrighteous actions that broke fellowship with him in the first place. But the church world, by and large, the majority of the church world, takes the confession of sin that's talking about that was a part of John the Baptist ministry and the confession of sin for the believer in 1 John 1, 9 and think, for the most part, that that's all there is to confession. Well, those are certainly important things regarding confession, but it's not the whole subject. Confession, the most important part for us, for you and me, believers, members of the family of God, the most important part of confession for us is to confess who we are in Christ Jesus. And this is something that it seems like, even though many of us know about the use of faith, know about the exercise of faith, but the extent of many people's understanding of the exercise of faith is just to get something that God promised you. For example, if we're attacked with sickness and disease, we know to confess Matthew eight seventeen. Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses and by his stripes or with his stripes we are healed. We know that. We know confession works to bring us into or to obtain the healing that Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. Same thing's true where finances are concerned. If we're facing a financial crisis, we take the word, for example, Philippians chapter 4, but my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. 
And so we make those confessions to obtain something that the Bible says belongs to us. And that's good. That's right. That's exactly what we're supposed to do. But then many of us, many well-meaning Christians, once they obtain their healing, once they uh, get past the financial crisis they're in, they don't think about using their faith in any other way until they get attacked by the devil again. And faith should be, faith's confession should be something that's a part of our daily lives. It's still a spiritual law, even if we're not trying to obtain healing or finances. It's still a spiritual law, and it'll work every time. It's as sure, or in my opinion, it's more sure than gravity. It's an eternal spiritual law. The laws of physics on this earth, some of them at least, will change. I don't know about gravity, but when God makes a new heaven and a new earth, there are going to be a lot of things on this earth that change, that won't be the same as they are now. Confession is not something that will change. Confession is who God is. The spoken word is the means, the only means whereby God exercises his authority toward man or his goodness toward man. I know that um, for me, I had a hard time taking hold of the concept of righteousness. Now, I don't know what, what really caused that. I've, uh, you've heard my story. I grew up in a Southern Baptist church. And they were pretty strong. And I'm not saying all Baptist churches are like this. I don't know that they are. Probably not. But the, the Baptist church that I grew up in was real strong on man being nothing and God being everything. Well, the God being everything part is good. But the man being nothing part got hammered into me really, really solidly. And so I'd see scriptures, read scriptures like 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. Where it says, God made Jesus to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. I would see that and I would think, yeah, that's great. And I envisioned it. I envisioned righteousness as something that God just kind of put over on our shoulders like a cloak. He dressed us up to look better so that he could look on us and say we were righteous. But it occurred to me one day that if that's the way he treated us toward righteousness, then that's the way Jesus had to, had to be treated concerning sin. See, we could only be made righteous in the same way that Jesus was made sin. Now, I knew for certainty that sin wasn't just laid over on Jesus. Jesus became sin. I saw in the Bible what a lot of people refuse to acknowledge, it seems, but I saw in the Bible where Jesus was the firstborn from the dead. Well, he wasn't the firstborn from physical death. He raised Lazarus in his earthly ministry. There are times even in the Old Testament where it talked about people that were raised from the dead. Now, it wasn't an everyday occurrence by any means, but there were times where it took place. So if Jesus was first, the firstborn or first begotten from the dead, it can't be talking about physical death. Well, what other kind of death is there? Spiritual death. Spiritual death which began to rule and reign over mankind because of Adam and Eve's sin. So where it said, and if Jesus became our substitute, if he was our sacrifice, a substitutionary sacrifice for us, then that means Jesus had to pay the real price for sin or else that price, that debt is still owed. If Jesus didn't pay the price for sin, you and I still owe one. But that's not consistent with what the Bible teaches. So what does that mean? 
That means Jesus had to be made sin. That means he had to take upon himself the nature of sin just as real as Adam and Eve took upon themselves the nature of sin through their trespass and disobedience against God. So therefore, if Jesus was made sin, you and I were really made righteous. And that's true whether we feel like it or not. That's true whether we ever walk in or not. That's true whether we ever recognize it or not. We really have been made righteous by the blood of Jesus. Well, even after the point where I came, even after coming to the point where I saw some of those things and reasoned them out. And folks, it's exactly the same thing that Paul reasoned out in Romans chapter 5. Exactly the same thing. So when I came to the place of reasoning that out, I began to say to myself, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Now, the first little while that I started doing that, I almost said it smirking. Because in my mind, there's this voice that's screaming out, you know that's not true. You know that's not true. And of course, it was always trying to remind me of the things that I'd done wrong. And so I I started off quite timidly, and I really didn't hold fast to it. I really didn't do it as much as I should have. And the reason I didn't is because that voice in my head was right. I had committed sin. But I came to the place where I realized and accepted and determined that since God's word is true because it's God's word, I really have to be righteous no matter what struggle I'm enduring with my flesh. So then I began again, and I began more diligently. I began to say I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I'd slip and fall, I'd stumble over something, and the devil's always right there to tell you how bad you missed it. And in the face of him telling me, I mean right after I would sin, I would turn around and say, wait a minute. I did do the wrong thing. Father, you forgive me for that, but I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And folks, it began to take hold. And I learned more from that experience with righteousness than maybe any other experience I've ever had. Because I came to the realization that righteousness was a very real thing for the children of God. I came to the realization that the more I spoke righteousness, the more I lived up to who I was made in him. Now, it's, it's kind of embarrassing, really, because I use this same principle in so many other ways. There would be people that, over the years that have come to me that are uh, hooked on different things. We've had people come through the church. One little girl I'm thinking of, 20-something-year-old, 22-year-old girl, maybe, that was hooked on heroin. There have been people that have come through the church that have been hooked on cigarettes, Some hooked on alcohol or some other drug. And I always tell them the same thing. They're saved. Once we determine that they're saved, they know they're in the family of God. I will tell them. I will explain to them there's only two kinds of people. People that are hooked on drugs or people that aren't. People that are hooked on cigarettes or people that aren't. People that are hooked on alcohol or people that aren't. And I would always pose the same question to them. Which one are you? And without exception, the answer I was, it would get was always the same. Well, I want to be the one that's not hooked. And I would explain to them, 
The only way somebody goes from being hooked with these things to being free from these things is to determine that they are free from these things. I've had people look at me and people say things like, well, that doesn't make any sense at all. And I would tell them, start saying this. Start saying, he whom the Son has set free is free indeed. Free indeed means free from everything in every respect. So your salvation experience has made you free from drugs or alcohol or whatever habit we were talking about with the individual. I would tell them, as far as God is concerned, you are not hooked on cigarettes. As far as God is concerned, you're free from drugs. As far as God is concerned, you're free from alcohol or whatever the other thing would be. Folks, this works in every area. I've had people come to me and tell me that they can't control their anger. One of the most um, outstanding, one of those types of situations that I remember is a guy came up to me, younger guy, maybe 35 years old, something like that. He came up to me after a service, and that's what he told me. He said, Pastor Mike, I want you to pray for me. I said, what for? He said, I can't control my anger. Now, he brought his son up with him. His son was two, three, four years old, something like that. I'm not real good with kids' ages. But he's a young, young boy. And this guy was restless. He was ready to run. He was ready to jump. He'd just come out of the kids' church, I guess. And, and he was ready to bounce off the walls. And so his son was doing all kinds of things, pulling his daddy's leg, let's go, daddy, let's do this, hey, whatever. And I kept looking at this guy all the time that he was saying that he couldn't control his anger. And I could see him getting more and more and more frustrated. But he never said a thing other than shushing his son a little bit, say, son, we'll be through in a minute. Let daddy talk. We'll be through in a minute. And so I told the guy, the first thing you're going to have to do is repent of lying. He said, what do you mean? I said, you've been telling me for the last several minutes how you can't control your anger. Yet I'm watching you control your anger in front of your son. Now, I'm pretty sure that's because I'm standing here. And certainly you wouldn't want to lose your temper in front of your pastor. And he kind of laughed and he said, well, yeah, I guess that's right. And I said, so then you can control your anger. There are just times where you choose not to. And some, you could see it. There was a light that came on in his eyes. He said, I guess you're right. He said, what should I do? I said, start doing this. Start saying that you have your anger under control. Start saying that you're not dominated by any of your emotions, specifically anger. Start saying that you're free from anger. Start saying that you, when you are angry, you sin not. See, that's what Paul said. Paul never said, don't get angry. Paul said, be angry and sin not. Some things are going to make us angry. The question is, how are we going to respond to it? And so I talked to him about that. He came back to me about three weeks later. He said, Pastor Mike, he said, I haven't lost my anger. uh, haven't lost my temper. Haven't yielded to my anger since that night we talked. I said, well, how do you like that? He said, I love it. He said, I never thought it would be possible. But he became who he said that he was. Folks, I've done the same thing with, with uh, drug addictions. This young girl that I was talking to you, started to talking to you about, 22-year-old girl hooked on heroin. She had been the most beautiful Barbie doll type looking girl, girl next door type thing, so pretty. And then these drugs had just 
begin to destroy her life. Well, it took her a while to be willing to do it. But once she did, she had encouragement from her family, had a good, strong family that would stand with her and help encourage her and so forth, not put her down, but encourage her. And so she began to say that she was free from heroin. And within six months' time, and really it was a lot shorter than that. It's probably about three or four months' time. The first couple of months, it took her that long to talk herself into doing what I was saying. But in just a matter of months, she kicked the heroin addict addiction. She got free from that thing, and God led her into his perfect will and plan for her life. Now, a couple of years later, she's married, got a little baby, just as happy as can be. I've seen folks do this with, with uh, cigarettes. There's two kinds of people. No matter what the situation is that the devil's telling you you can't be free of, there's always two kinds of people, folks. People that do and people that don't. You've got to decide which one you are. Well, I know which one I want to be. Well, then all you have to do is start speaking in line with that to become it. Folks, confession is a spiritual law. It works every time. If we'll work it. There's two kinds of people. There's righteous people and unrighteous people. Which one are you? Don't judge by your behavior. Judge by what the Bible says. The Bible says Jesus was made sin for you. So that you might be made the righteousness of God in him. That means you're righteous even if you're stumbling over your flesh a thousand times in a day. You're righteous because of what Jesus did, not because of what you do. The only thing that's required of us is to confess Jesus as our Lord. But assuming we've done that, then the rest of it just becomes a, a matter of confessing what the Bible says, speaking what the Bible says about us. And it's a spiritual law. We will become who we say we are. Now, there's a lot of things the Bible talks about that I'm not sure that people have really caught on to the importance of confession regarding for example the bible says that the holy ghost is the helper and he'll never leave you or forsake you well then shouldn't we begin to say that the holy ghost is always present with us shouldn't we begin to say we have supernatural help by the spirit of god within and he's always there and he's always speaking to us some people see scriptures where jesus said my sheep hear and know my voice and they'll come to me and they'll say things like well i don't hear his voice the Bible says I'm supposed to, but I don't hear his voice. Well, folks, there's two kinds of people. People that hear his voice and people that don't hear his voice. Which one are you? The answer is you're the one you say you are. The Bible says that we're blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Whatever blessing you're looking for, whatever blessing you need, that means there's two kinds of people regarding that blessing. People that are blessed and people that aren't blessed. Which one are you? Whichever one you say you are. Folks, think about how God established this. Your eternity, your eternal security is based on what you say. It's based on whether or not you confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The most important thing in the universe for all of mankind is where you're going to spend eternity. And it's determined by one and only one thing, and that is what you say. I know some people get upset and they say, we talk too much about confession. I don't think that's possible. 
Because everything is governed. Everything in your life, everything about your future, everything about who you are in Christ is governed by what you say you are or who you say you are. And you will always become whoever you say you are. You find a scripture where the Bible says that God has imparted to us his wisdom. But if you don't feel like you have his wisdom, remember, there's two kinds of people. People that are wise and people that are not. Which one are you? Whichever one you say you are. Every blessing of God is tied up with your mouth. Every blessing of God is or is not a a factor in your life based on what you say. Every blessing there is. Back to the story in Numbers chapter 13. Ten spies convinced the congregation that they can't take the land. Two people, Caleb and Joshua, wind up taking the land because of what they said. Again, they were delayed. They were delayed by the unbelief of of the nation of Israel. But I want you to understand something, folks. It wasn't the walls around the city that defeated Israel the first time. It wasn't the military might of their enemies. It wasn't what they saw. Everybody saw the same thing. Not everybody interpreted it the same way. What kept them out is because they said they couldn't. They said they couldn't and they didn't. Remember, there's two kinds of people. There's people that take the promised land and people that just look at the promised land. Look longingly at the promised land perhaps and fail to enter in. Caleb and Joshua entered in not because they were stronger than the others. They entered in because they said they could. They said God said we could so we can. Did they feel any stronger than the others? No. Did they have some kind of strength or military might that the other ten spies didn't have? No. Then what made them able to go in? The words of their mouth. Because God established a spiritual principle, an unchanging and eternal spiritual principle. Folks, this still works in heaven. If you don't learn how to walk by faith here on the earth, you're going to have a hard time in heaven. Because this works there too. It's an eternal spiritual law. As truly as I live, God said, say unto them, As they have spoken in my ears, so will I do unto you. God never changes. That law will never change. It's a spiritual law that will live on forever. You are who you say you are in every area and every aspect of life. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is given to us as a blueprint for who we can be. We know, Father, that because we've confessed Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we have been made righteous. Therefore, we say that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Satan, we serve notice on you. We're not governed by our behavior. We're governed by what the Word of God says and what we agree with. So we say, regardless of sinful behavior, we say no matter how many times we've stumbled up to this point or how many times we stumble in the future, we are made righteous by the blood of Jesus that never changes. We declare that we're free in every aspect of our lives. 
We refuse to relinquish control or authority in our bodies to you in any way, shape, form, or fashion. We say that we are who the Bible says we are. We say Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses and with his stripes were healed. We say that all of our needs are met according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. We say that we're victorious only and not defeated. We say that we're the head and not the tail. We say that we're above and not beneath. We say that we are free in every aspect of life. Every area. We say that the power of God resides in us. The quickening power of God that raises us up and quickens our mortal body. We say the helper, the great Holy Spirit lives and abides in us forever. We say we always have supernatural help that puts us over and makes us victorious in everything that we encounter in this life. We thank you, Father, that we are blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. We don't need more from you, Father. We just simply need to act on your word and say of of ourselves what you have said of us. Therefore, we say we're victorious. We say we do have faith. We say our faith works. We say our words come to pass because Jesus said they would. We say, Father, that we're free from every hindrance, every work of the enemy. We say we are free by the sacrifice of Jesus. Thank you, Father, that these things are so, that these things are true, that these things are real, and our faith is giving substance to these things to make them a reality in our physical lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us.